Hello and welcome to the BVC Podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. trees taken down over on our side property, and one of the trees that we got taken down um, perilously hung over our newly remodeled garage, and it was rotting, and so like, man, we got to get that tree down before a branch goes through the roof, and so these guys came, they were fantastic, they did a fantastic job, but unfortunately, on one of my check-ins with them, the guy said, hey, I've got bad news, and I go, oh, what was that? He said, a branch got away from me and went through the roof of the garage. <laughs> like, ah. um, fortunately, they were great about it. They had a roofer here the same day, and it was fixed by the next day, and you can't tell any difference. Fortunately, the, the damage was to a minimum, but it was kind of ironic that we were cutting the tree down to avoid that. But, uh, yeah, praise God for the resources. I just want to make a comment on that. Um, early in the service, during the, the pre-service video, we, we talked about different ways to give. Um, and I just want to thank everyone who gives so faithfully and generously to Brownsburg Vineyard Church. It really does go a long way in allowing us to provide the ministries that we provide um, to our own church and to our own community and to the children here and to keeping up the building, but also reaching out to our community and the world around us. So if you haven't begun to give in a committed way, I want to encourage you to do that because it really does allow us to do a lot in the kingdom of God. So let me just say a quick prayer and then we'll get into the, the final message in this, this series. So, so God, I do thank you. We just uh, pause right now and just take a, a deep breath and I just pray, God, that you would slow everything down. Let's just maybe take five or ten seconds to catch our breath. God, if there is anything in our minds or in our hearts that we need to offload in this moment, anything in this moment that would keep us from hearing your voice clearly, I just pray your Holy Spirit would just come along and just offload that. May we fix our gaze upon you. May we set our mind upon you. I just pray peace over our hearts silencing of the voices that we don't need to be listening to right now. And I just pray for these next few moments, God, that we would be completely attuned to what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, God is always so good. Uh, it's one of my favorite subjects, the goodness of God. And uh, God gave me a, a real subtle Real small little blessing, but it, it, it was meaningful. Um, and I was in my office, it was Friday, and I was working on my message. And, uh, and we have somebody who comes in on Fridays and, and volunteers. And what they do is they put all of the programs together um, and put all the inserts in the programs. And so this volunteer was, was talking to Christian. They were working in the conference room, and I could overhear their conversation. And in the conversation, the, the person volunteering said, you know, a couple weeks ago, Dennis shared this quote that said, like, the most important thing about you is what you think when you think about God. And so the volunteer was saying, 
I sat down and I started to write a list of everything that God is to me. And so far I've come up with 21 things that God is to me. And he says, every time I read those lists, I find myself being so encouraged and being so strengthened. And I'm sitting there in my office completely eavesdropping on this conversation. And my heart was so glad. And here's why. Because it's nice when somebody compliments the message. Keep that up. I'm not saying not to do that. When you're on your way out and you want to compliment the message, that, that's fantastic. It, it's always nice. We always like to be complimented. We all like to, for somebody to recognize that what you did impacted them in a positive way or, or what you did, they, they considered that to be, wow, that was exceptional. Other than better than normal. We like compliments. They feed our soul. But for me, what is far important than someone complimenting my, one of my messages is when somebody is implementing one of my messages. When somebody is taking that which I said and, and, and is implementing it, making a change in their life because of that, that really matters. One of the stark realities facing the church in today's day and age is the fact that we are not seeing the level of implementation of truth that sometimes we think is happening. One of the sad parts of ministry is when we get called to the scene of a crisis where somebody's life falls apart and you show up on the scene and you quickly realize that all the things that you thought were being implemented were actually not being implemented. It's like, wow, how did they get here? Like, oh, we talked about this. It's a very real reality and there's a lot of reasons for why people don't implement the, the things that are presented and, and taught. But one of them, and, and one of them that I take personal responsibility for, one of them is this, is am I answering the questions that people are actually asking? Am I answering the questions that, that need to be answered? The questions that people have, am, am, am I focused on those? Do I know those are the questions that are being answered? Am I, am I answering the questions that matter? I was reading this great, it was actually a marketing book, and, and I came across this great quote in this marketing book by Dan Kennedy. It says this, Always enter the conversation already happening in the customer's mind. And when I read that quote, the first thing that popped into my mind was Jesus. Because if you were to follow Jesus through the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you were to take a highlighter and you were to highlight every question that was asked, if you were to highlight every question that was answered, every time the Pharisees asked the question of Jesus, or Jesus asked the question of his disciples, or the disciples asked him a question, the large majority of the New Testament is centered around the asking and answering of questions. And Jesus always seemed to know the right question to answer or the right question to ask. He always seemed to know what was going on in the minds of people. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. It usually involves having a conversation with one of three types of occupation. Either uh, an AC technician or a mechanic or an IT support guy. Sorry for all of our IT support guys in the room. I'm going to pick on you today. Have you ever called one of these people with what you think is a very simple question? I just need this question asked. And you ask this very simple question and they start talking. 
and talking and talking. And the more they talk, the further they get from answering the question that matters to you, right? And like the further they go, you, you, you realize, I can't get to where you are until you answer the question that I have. It's important for us to understand that effective learning only happens when the right questions are answered at the right time and in the right way. And so all of that to say we are concluding our series, The Battle, and we're going to conclude this series with a Q&A time. And I asked for people to submit questions. And so we're going to be answering three of the questions that came in regarding this topic of spiritual warfare. Before we get into that, let me just briefly do a summary of what we've been focusing on in this series. When we started this series, we said there was kind of a twofold purpose to this series. And the first one was that we would have an increased or an enhanced awareness of those moments in times where the spiritual world intersected with the natural world. That we would be aware of when things are happening. When Jesus said to the disciples, open your eyes. Can you not see the fields are white for harvest? It was an opportunity where they weren't seeing it. And, and Jesus said, you've got to see this. And so one of the purposes of this series is for our eyes to be able to see the times when the spiritual world is interacting and intersecting with the natural world. The second purpose was that we would be encouraged, equipped, and educated to engage with those moments. That when those moments are happening in a conversation or in prayer or in our own life, and when when the answer to the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, when that moment, when the kingdom of God is coming here on earth, when that moment happens, that we would know that it's happening and we would know what to do. So that was kind of the purpose of this series. We've read a number of scriptures, but one of the key scriptures that we've been looking at through this series is Ephesians 6, which says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And so, these are the three questions that we will be answering today. And the first one was this. Where did Satan come from and what are demons? It's a very basic question, but one that's important to answer. The Bible actually talks a lot about Satan and demons, especially in the New Testament. It was a very big part of Jesus' ministry. He went around delivering people. So where actually did they come from? So we'll kind of have a three-part answer to this question. And the first part is this. And it might be somewhat surprising that Satan and demons were actually created by God. That might kind of sound a little odd, but listen to what Paul says in Colossians. He says, For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, all authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So in trying to understand who Satan is and what demons are, it's important for us to understand that all angels, including Satan and demons, were originally created by God to serve God's purpose. That's where they came from. They were angels who were created by God to serve God's purpose. That obviously raises the question, well, what happened? The second answer, part of the answer, is Satan and demons are angels who rebelled against God who at some point, something happened in their heart. 
And we have a couple of scriptures that talk about that. In Isaiah, it says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And then again in Jude, says, and the angels who did not keep their position of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. So what's important for us to understand is when we talk about the heavens, when we talk about the spiritual realm, when we talk about spiritual warfare, or even when we talk about angels and messengers uh, doing the work of God, what we have to understand is that the spiritual realm is occupied by angels and demons who are substantively the same, but characteristically different. Let me say that again. Angels and demons are substantively the same, but characteristically different. And what I mean is they were created the same. They were created at the same time. They were created the same way. So substantively, they're the same, but characteristically, they're different. The motives of their heart is different. So the heart of an angel is to do the will of the Father. The heart of the angel is to be a messenger of the Father. The heart of an angel is to do the work of the Father. What do you need done? The heart of a demon is, what can I do? to fight against, to work against, to destroy what the Father is trying to do. That leads us to the third part of this question, and that is is that Satan and demons have no ability to create like God does, so they only seek to destroy things. A couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I said that one of the mistakes that we sometimes make when thinking about Satan and demons is that we credit them with some characteristics that only God has, such as omniscience, knowing everything. And Satan and demons do not know what God knows. So one of our weapons is that you and I have access to intel that Satan and demons don't have access to. Similarly, one of the characteristics that Satan and demons don't possess is the ability to create something out of nothing. That can only belong to God. They can create a, um, a, a, a fake of something, but they can't create a real thing. And so what they do then is they say, if I can't create something, then I'll destroy what I can. I've always thought, and this probably has to do with the fact that I grew up in a criminal household, but I always thought to myself, I can completely understand committing most crimes out there. The one crime, ironically, that I couldn't really ever see myself doing or getting into was vandalism. I'm like, what a crazy crime to do. Like, I, I, I couldn't, even in my wildest imagination, uh, figure out how somehow somebody would find that satisfying to destroy things. But that is exactly the heart of Satan and demons. We can't create. We don't have the ability to create. All that we can do is to destroy what God creates. Because everything that God creates reflects His glory. Everything that God creates reflects His goodness. And so if we can destroy that which reflects His goodness and that that reflects His glory, then, then in that way we gain something. And so that's what their intention is. Jesus talked about this in John 10.10. The thief comes to 
to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. So we know that the only intention and the only motive of the enemy is to bring destruction. And so what demons do in our lives, in the lives of our marriage, in our families, and our communities, and our churches, and our nations, is they look for opportunities to bring destruction. And sometimes the reality is that you and I can be complicit in giving spiritual forces the opportunity to bring destruction in our lives. By the things that we do and the doors that we open, we can sometimes be complicit in giving them the opportunity. One of the greatest scriptures that demonstrate this is in Ephesians where it says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger so as to give the enemy a foothold. And so what Paul is talking about there in Ephesians is if you let anger sit in your heart, if you let bitterness and rage boil inside of you, what you are essentially doing is you are allowing the enemy to get a foothold in your life. And once he has that foothold in that place of anger, he doesn't stop there. He keeps trying to take more and more and more of your life. Let me share a few other uh, areas or a few other ways that we can give Satan an opportunity in our life. I talked a couple weeks ago about how one of our greatest defensive weapons is obedience. Because what obedience does is that obedience keeps us in the shadow of the Almighty God. Obedience keeps us under the wing of the Father, keeps us in the strong fortress of the Father. But when we sin, what we do is we step outside of the covering and the protection and the grace of God, and now we step out on our own, and now we are looking at something or someone to give us what only God can give us. And the problem is, is that there is a price that comes with that. There is a bait and switch every time you make a deal with the enemy. It looks like it's a good deal. It looks like it'll be satisfying. It looks like it'll be fulfilling. But in the end, it brings destruction. And so, that's a big umbrella. But anytime we walk or step outside of obedience, we open ourselves up for Satan and spiritual forces to have an impact on our lives. The Bible talks about unforgiveness. And I would have to say maybe one of the top five ways that we give Satan an opportunity in our life is through judgment, criticism, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Because we cannot receive the grace, we cannot receive the mercy that we need while we are holding other people in judgment. And so it slows with the very thing that we need the most in our life. And that's why the Bible tells us, be quick to forgive. Because it's dangerous to hold on to that. Because unforgiveness in your heart will open your heart up to the enemy. A lot of people uh, at a time in their life, and maybe even today, I'm not sure if most of the people in the American church today understand how dangerous it is, how dangerous it is to mess around with things of the occult and other spiritual type of uh, in endeavors, even, even spiritual things that, that might be presented as a game like a Ouija board or palm reading or tarot cards or horoscopes or, or things like this. And, and so we enter into this spiritual realm and we look for a, a spiritual experience or we look for spiritual insight or spiritual messaging doing, doing Ouija boards or, or seances and we think it's just a game and it's a fun thing, but we are actually consulting a spiritual force that heart is set on destruction. That's why 
The first commandment is to love the Lord your God, to serve no others, because it's dangerous to make a deal with the enemy. It's dangerous to, to involve yourself in those things. And sometimes unwittingly, we think we're just messing around with something that doesn't mean anything. But in the process of doing that, we've opened the door for the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. The Bible talks about not being drunk, doesn't talk a lot about drugs because it's out of context. Here's my personal opinion, that whenever we allow ourselves to drink to the point of drunkenness or to get high, whenever we uh, engage in a practice that separates us from our consciousness, that separates us from being of sound mind, it lowers our defenses and allows the enemy to bring destruction in our life. And my evidence of this is just add up the cumulative destruction that has happened when people are drunk or high. Add up all of the destruction that happens. All of the decisions and actions that are made when people are in that state, it leads to nothing but destruction. So the Bible calls us to be of a sound mind. And there's a danger in doing that. Fear, when we entertain fear and we allow fear to consume us, what we are doing is we are allowing fear to be the God in our life. We allow fear to dictate what we do and we don't do. To the point where some people's entire life is dominated and controlled by the fears that they have. And when we entertain fear and allow fear to rule us, we are allowing the enemy to control our life. Here's one that you might not think uh, as, as being tied to a spiritual impact on your life. But complaining... I think opens up the door to Satan and demons. Here's why. In my opinion, complaining is like having a conversation with Satan. The Israelites lost 40 years in the desert because of complaining. 40 years. It destroyed an entire generation. The entire generation that left Egypt on the way to the Promised Land died in the desert for one thing and one thing alone, and that was because they complained and grumbled. And so when we allow ourselves to complain, when we allow ourselves to grumble, it's like we are entertaining a conversation with Satan instead of entertaining a conversation with God who will remind us of His blessing and His promises and His goodness and, and, and His love for us. And that type of conversation draws us into God. If you notice, you can't ever complain and find yourself drawn closer to God. Complaining will always, always draw you away from God. And it also opens up your heart to allow Satan to just destroy your life through criticism and through complaining. There's all kinds of opportunities that we give to the enemy. But just understand this. The demons are opportunistic spiritual parasites. That's what demons are. They are looking for every opportunity that's why over and over again in Scripture we are warned to be alert, to be on guard, because they are opportunistic spiritual parasites who are looking to attach themselves to your life and to rob and to steal and to bring destruction into your life. So that's the answer to where did Satan come from and what are demons. The second question that was submitted was how do you know if what you're struggling with is a spiritual battle? It's a fantastic question. This question really has 
four contexts that you, you could answer it into. One is, how do I know what's going on in my life, what I'm dealing with mentally, emotionally, physically? How do I know whether that's spiritual? Um, or it may have to do with somebody that you're in a relationship with, a friend, a family member, somebody you work with, somebody you're married to. Uh, how do I know what they are going through is spiritual or is it just choices that they're making? And then uh, the third context is more on a community, corporate, even um, national context. How, how do I know what is happening in my church or what's happening in my country is spiritual. And so there's several different levels that you can answer this question on. And, and let, let me say this, this first answer, my first answer to this question is a really broad stroke, but I think it's the right answer. We'll get more specific after this. I would say the answer to that question, how do I know if what I'm struggling with is spiritual, my answer would be always assume. It's always safe to assume that there is some spiritual component to what's going on. Always assume that there's some spiritual component to what is going on in the struggle. Uh, about 20 years ago, I was flying into Toronto, Canada, and it was uh, a late night flight, so it was pitch dark out. We were flying, we were still above the clouds, and there was a, a thunderstorm, a lightning storm that night, and it was one of the coolest things that I'd ever seen. We were so far above the city, it was so black out, and we were above the clouds, so you couldn't even see the city and all of the lights. And Toronto is huge, so normally you can, but this night, because of the time of night it was and because of the clouds, you couldn't even see the city. But then, whenever the lightning struck, whenever there was lightning, it was like somebody flipped the switch. And for like a millisecond, you could see all of Toronto, and then it went out. And it just kept doing this, and it was the coolest thing. Complete blackness, complete light. And there are times in the Bible where you can you see people are given like an opportunity where the, the, the switch is flipped, where the lights are turned on, and they get to see the spiritual realm. And we see that the whole book of Revelation is like this whole time where, where John's eyes are opened up to see the spiritual realm. We see that throughout the Bible. These moments where the, 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 the switch is flipped and people see just how complex and comprehensive the spiritual realm is. And right now, if somehow we could just see just how real the spiritual realm is and how frequently it gauges in our life, we would understand that there's always a spiritual component happening. And so no matter what the struggle is, spiritual, there will be a spiritual influence either as a direct cause of the struggle, so it will be directly causing the struggle, It'll be contributing factor to the struggle, somehow um, exacerbating the struggle. Or the spiritual force will be looking to control your life through this struggle. To take advantage of and use this struggle as an opportunity to gain control over your life. Here's a great, great biblical example of this. All the way back in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, you have Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel made a righteous sacrifice, a generous sacrifice to God. His, his heart of worship wanted to give God the very best of what he had. But Cain was struggling. Cain was struggling to be obedient. Say, Cain was struggling to be generous to God. And he was struggling to be jealous of his brother because his brother did something that he was struggling to do. And so he was internalizing this whole process, right? And then God in His love and God in His kindness and God wanting to care for Cain came to him and it says this, So the Lord said to Cain, If you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. 
And the watch out didn't have anything to do with God stomping Cain. Listen to what God warns Cain of. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And so we see there that, that this sin, that this demonic force, that this, this destruction was not the cause of what Cain was going through. These were his own emotions, his own insecurities. He was dealing with that. But this thing was waiting for Cain to make the wrong choice. It was waiting to destroy Cain's life. And ultimately, that's what happened. And so... When we're, asked, uh, when we're trying to determine, is this thing in my life is, is, is being influenced by a spiritual thing, we need to have the discernment. I talked last week about how discernment is, is a tool that we can use. And I, I share this image of a, of a game of pickup sticks. And sometimes the struggles in our life can be complex. There's a lot of contributing factors in our life. What other people are saying, what, what we're doing, what has happened to us in the past, the trauma that we might have. And one of those things may be the spiritual forces that are, like I said, exacerbating this thing. And so we have to have the discernment to know what is going on spiritually with this struggle in my life or in the life of this person that I love. And if we identify and if we sense, okay, hey, there's something spiritual going on, then there are two questions to ask. And let me share those two questions quickly. The first question is this. When and how was the door open that allowed this demonic force to have influence in my life? What happened? What did I do or what was done that allowed this demonic force to have opportunity in my life? Earlier I listed all of the different ways in which we can at times open doors to sin and Satan and demonic forces having opportunities in our life. I said before that in the spiritual realm, cause and effect is not as rational and linear as it is in the natural realm. Here in the natural realm, cause and effect are pretty easy to identify. This half, you did this, and this is what happened. Cause and effect is easy to understand. But in the spiritual realm, it can be a lot more complex. You can do or say something here when you're five, six, seven years old, or something can happen to you as a child, and then you don't recognize the effect. You don't see the effect. You don't experience the effect until you're 45 years old, and you're dealing with an alcohol addiction. Your marriage is falling apart, and you're wondering what's going on in your life. And now, all of a sudden, you see, oh, there's a spiritual connection between what happened then, what was said then, what was done then, what I did then, and what I'm seeing happen in my life. And so the cause and effect is, is more complex, and that's why you need discernment to go, what is going on here? And so a lot of times we have to ask, Holy Spirit, show me. How was this thing given an open door in my life? And then that is followed by the second question, which is, what do I need to do to close the door to this demonic influence in my life? And that could mean a number of different things. Repentance, one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith, is where we come before God and say, God, I did what I saw was right in my own eyes, and it led to destruction. I'm sorry for that. I'm coming back to you, God. And, and in the process of repentance, we close a door that was once open. 
Sometimes what we have to do is we have to renounce a vow that we made. There was a time in my life that said, I will never do this. I will only do this. And, and we, we make vows and, and we, we obligate ourselves and we commit to things that, that we were never meant to commit to. And now we're held to that thing. And that vow, that internal vow that we make has power over our lives. And we have to come to the point of saying, man, I, I committed to something. I tied myself to something. I obligated myself to something that has taken control of my life. It wasn't true. It wasn't right. And I have to renounce that. I have to make a declaration. I don't believe that anymore. I'm not committed to doing that anymore. God, I only want you and your word to to control my life and to direct my life. Sometimes what we have to do is we have to recognize that there might be a soul tie in our life where for some reason we have given another person such an important uh, role in our life that their opinion matters to us more than God's opinion matters. Their admiration matters more to us than God's admiration. Their affection matters more to us than God's affection. And so we, we can sometimes find ourselves connected to a person in a very unhealthy way. Sometimes we have to come to God and say, God, my life has been ruined because I have allowed this person or this person's opinion to control my life when really it only should have been you that mattered to me and to my life. This week when I was preparing this message, I was in here and it was Wednesday afternoon. And as I was thinking of the ways that we needed to close doors in our life, I thought of this one and it was reconciliation. And what happens sometimes in our life is we have a conflict, we have a breach, we have an argument, we have some type of an offense that happens. And so what we do is we reject or we abandon another person. We, we cut off communication with another person. And sometimes in the act of breaking relationship and breaking fellowship and abandoning and rejecting somebody, we think that we're hurting them, but what we're actually doing is we're hurting ourselves. And what we've done is we have agreed with a spirit of rejection and abandonment, and we have partnered with that against someone else. And we end up being the ones who feel rejected and abandoned. So as I was thinking about that, it just came to me in, in a moment of prophetic clarity that there, may, that there will be at least one person, if not a couple people in this room, for whom this is true. And that is the freedom that you are wanting requires you to talk to the person that you're avoiding. And that's for somebody in the room today. You recognize that there are areas of your life that are in bondage that you don't have freedom of. And what God is saying is the freedom that you're wanting requires you to go talk to the person that you're avoiding. And sometimes the bondage in our life is because we have rejected and we have held somebody at arm's length. And God is saying you need to reconcile with that person. We have a lot of ways in which we come alongside people and support people in this. Obviously, we have our prayer team here on Sunday morning. And even this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to come forward and receive prayer. And one of the things that our prayer ministry team does is it helps to, to stand in that gap. It helps to pray and to do spiritual warfare and, and to bring freedom in your life. We, we have a prayer room, a private prayer room, that sometimes we can, we can meet with people in that prayer room and a group of us can gather around and lay hands on people and pray for freedom. We, we can do that. The life groups that we 
we, we had up here. Those are opportunities where we can do that. We've connected with a vineyard church on the north side that has this ministry called Sozo Prayer, which really digs down into people's lives and helps uproot those things. Uh, the School of Kingdom ministry that Gwen talked about, that's an, another opportunity for that. And so we look for every opportunity to come alongside you. So if you recognize that there is a struggle going on in your life and there's a spiritual component to it, and you're going, I need help with this. I want you to know you're not alone. You are in the right place. We recognize that this battle exists, and we want to be in that battle with you. And so I encourage you today to avail yourself to that. Here's the the third and, and final question really quickly. Do people still need to be delivered from demons? And if so, how does that happen? So quickly on, on three levels, biblically, globally, and nationally. Biblically, over and over again, we see the need for people to be released from, delivered from demons. In the ministry of Jesus, it said, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Then Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. But it wasn't just Jesus who, who did that. Jesus passed that ministry on to the disciples. And we read that when it says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received, free, freely you give. And with that, there is kind of this implicit expectation of continuation that the 12 disciples of Jesus went out and continued to drive out demons. But after the 12 disciples, the 72, and after the 72, every other disciple would be prepared and equipped to drive out demons. And I think as a church, we really need to raise the bar in equipping people to recognize when this needs to happen and exactly what to do with that. So biblically, yes, people still need deliverance. What's interesting, globally, there's a big difference on, on this um, topic when you're talking about America versus many other uh, parts of this world. If you go anywhere in South America, anywhere in Africa, anywhere in Asia, they are so palpably aware of the spiritual realities that they live in. It's just everyday life for them, both positively and negatively. They are so aware of the spiritual impact on life. Last time I was in the Ivory Coast, um, we were driving, and, and by the way, um, I dream of being able to drive in the Ivory Coast because there are like literally no rules on the road. You can just do what you want, and, and like, I, that's my dream. My next time to Cote d'Ivoire, I'm like, I don't care about preaching, I just want to drive. And so... It's just absolutely crazy, but what's interesting, there's a lot of horn honking there, but nobody really gets mad, and it's crazy, like every single bumper is dinged in, like there's not a clean car there, and so I said to the one guy driving one time, I said, why don't people get mad here? Honest to goodness, this was his answer. He said, because in this culture, you don't want to get somebody upset at you and have them go to a witch doctor and place a curse on your life, and so you have to be careful about your interactions. That's an everyday reality for them. So just understand that we often look at issues through a very narrow lens of America, of Christian, predominantly white, or our own experience. We have all of these kind of filters that we look at a topic. But if you go to so many other places in this world, this is just like every day. And even churches and organizations who here in America might not identify as a charismatic, spirit-filled, Pentecostal organization or church, but if they're doing work in these areas of the country, they're doing this. Just because they know you can't be there and not face 
this reality. So that kind of leads us to nationally. What, how do we look at it and why do we look at it the way we do in this country? And unfortunately in this country, our dependence on scientific reasoning blinds us to the spiritual reality around us. We are so beholden to scientific reasoning that if we can't prove it, then it doesn't exist. What we are discovering is that science is beginning to find evidence of things that they once thought didn't exist. And so in this culture, we see it a whole lot differently. So just lastly, let me close with this. When we are praying for deliverance, this is really an occupational issue. What deliverance is, is that spiritual forces have taken up a place in a person's life, in their heart, in their mind, in their body. They have taken up a place that doesn't belong to them. And so when we pray for deliverance, what we do is we come around a person. And last week I talked about jurisdictional authority. We, in our jurisdictional authority, we step into that person's life and we say to those things, you don't have a right to be here. This person belongs to Jesus Christ. Every area of their life belongs to Jesus Christ. And so in the authority that we have, we push you out of where you are and we proclaim freedom over this person's life. It doesn't really have to be all that dramatic. You don't have to shout at demons. They're not deaf. You can just be calm about it. Sometimes there's manifestations and there's physical reactions and sometimes they're not. It doesn't really matter whether there is or there isn't. The end goal is freedom, so that's what matters. But this is just a reality that we have to deal with. And we need as a church, I think, more and more to be equipped to recognize when people's lives are being controlled by spiritual influences and we need to be equipped to bring freedom into their life. Because when Jesus said to the disciples that you are called to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons, he was talking to you and he was talking to me. And the church is not functioning in its full capacity unless it's doing all of those things. So I'm going to call the, the worship team forward now. So throughout this series, we've been talking about spiritual warfare and spiritual realities. And as I said at the beginning of this message, uh, one of the primary uh, purposes of this series was for us to just be more aware of it. So very, very practically, I just want to encourage you to ask this question more frequently than you've maybe ever asked it before. When you are feeling a certain way, you ever wake up and you're just out of sorts? You ever have that feeling? Maybe a heaviness on your heart. You may be a little bit frustrated or impatient or maybe feeling a little down. Just stop and go, Holy Spirit, what is going on right now? Is there something here that I need to deal with on a spiritual level? Maybe it's not the person who's annoying me that's the problem, but something spiritual is going on. As parents and spouses, as bosses and employees and community members, maybe when you see somebody going through something or you're looking at somebody who is going through a struggle, maybe pause and ask, Holy Spirit, something spiritual going on here? Is there something I can pray into? Is there something I can bind up? Is there something that has taken a place in this person's life that doesn't belong to them? And can I simply pray against that? For many of us, we are looking at what's happening in our nation with great confusion and great concern. Maybe instead of watching another hour of news, maybe we turn the news off and say, God, 
What is going on in this nation? What can I pray about? In what way has the enemy gained a foothold in this nation that I can stand against? There's opportunities all around us, and we are equipped to engage with them. So I'd encourage you to add that question into your consideration for yourself and for other people. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward now. We're going to go into a time of reflection and response. We've had a, a great time of worship before, and we're going to continue that. I really want to encourage you today. If there is something in your life that's just kind of nagging, it's kind of been holding on, and you just want freedom from that, I really want to encourage you to come forward today and to have these people pray for you for freedom and for victory in your life. If you want to come on behalf of somebody else and say, hey, I know this person is going through something, I want to do spiritual warfare on their behalf, and I want to encourage you to come forward. If you have any other need in your life right now, then they are here to meet that. And lastly, if you're here today and it's been a long time since you've connected with God and you just want that fresh connection, if maybe you're here today and you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, then these folks are here to pray with you and support you through that. Don't leave here today without receiving the gift that God has for you, whether that's His presence or His salvation or His healing. It's here for you today. So let's stand together. We'll bring the lights down in the room. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to this moment, and and as as we move into this time of reflection and response, I just pray, come Holy Spirit, come with freedom and come with power, bind up the enemy, we pray freedom, we pray the name of Jesus over our lives.